my, my family was on a fishing trip in Canada last week and we were driving back yesterday and we actually listened to the sermon last week. We didn't have access to do that up there, uh, but several times even listening to Cody preach last week, uh, my kids were like, this is good. Like, this is, this is really good. And I was like, yeah. You know, they weren't making inferences like, Dad, this is better than any sermon you preach. I, they do that sometimes. But, um, but man, Cody did a great job leading us last week. It was a powerful passage. And we're in the middle of this deep story. Half of the book of Genesis, half of it, is about Jacob and his kids. It's half the book. So there's a lot to mine. There's a lot for us to know about. There's a lot for us to discover. There's a lot for us to see about that relationship that plays into this relationship as we seek to walk with the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what is, it's becoming very clear, Esau is not a follower of God and he hates his brother to the point that he has already figured out how he's going to kill him after his dad dies. So it's like when our dad dies and they're twins, I'm going to kill my brother. Esau has premeditated murder. And Jacob's and Esau's mom knows about this. She's swept up into the pain of the reality of this. And as a, a, a mother seeks to have a good relationship with her daughter-in-law's, she has a terrible relationship with her daughter-in-laws who don't care about anything of God and are likely mocking the things of God. And they, two wives just says a lot too, and they are leading her son Esau. Um, he, he's participating willfully, but they are leading him away from God's ways. So Genesis 28, where we'll be today, takes us further into what happens, further into what God has for us as we see his dealings with them. So verse 1 of chapter 28 says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, saying, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Verse 2. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. A quick side thing on this too is sometimes you might see all these names and places and just be like, gosh, these are hard for me to pronounce. Can we just skip them? But realize that God is not hiding. He's not, some, he's not a God that's gone off and hidden and said, you know, come and find me. He is saying, I am doing all of this in public and I'm doing it to, in the lives of real people 
in real places with real relationships and you can check the facts. You can see, were there Arameans? Was there a place called Padan Aram? Uh, were there these relationships? Were these countries in existence at this time? You can check all these to say like, hey, the setting, the characters, check out. Even people go to the point of saying, did people have, has archeology span shown that people had these types of names? You know, like, yeah, th those were kind of the names that people had in that time at that place. And so he is wanting us to say, this happened for real. And Esau has really married Hittite women. The Hittite women, and Hittites it was an empire. You might not have heard of the Hittite empire, but it was a real empire at this time. And the, Hittite, the Hittites are known for being a very spiritual people, but dark. Kind of like you go to like New Orleans, and you're like, man, it's like spiritual and dark. And Hittite was spiritual and dark, and they did not follow God. They followed false gods. They're contributing to Esau not following God in his life. And interestingly, Jacob doesn't say, or Isaac doesn't say to Jacob, Jacob, don't marry Hittite women. He says, don't marry Canaanite women. Well, Canaanite was like an umbrella term for all of these nations and empires of this whole region. So he's, he's zooming out and he's saying, I don't want you to marry Hittite women and I don't want you to marry any Canaanite women. They will all lead you away from the things of God. So he broadens the category. And then Isaac looks, verse three, to God Almighty to bless Jacob. To bless Jacob in the way God had promised to be with his grandfather Abraham and his dad Isaac. And remember, Jacob up to this point has been a con man. He has... He has lived as a con man, he's been a trickster, he's been deceiving people, and he's trying to like get God's promises in his own con man way. And instead of Isaac just being like, man, Isaac is like, God, you, would you be mighty? <laughs> would you be mighty in my son's life? And God's blessing that Isaac is yearning for has a lot to do with the place. Because Jacob is being sent away from this place that's known as like, man, all of this land has been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob's getting ready to leave the country. And Jacob listens to his dad. His dad says, go, and he listens to his dad. He obeys his dad. He goes to Padan Aram. He is obedient to his dad. But what's interesting, and it could be true of some of you in the room too, is that Jacob is following his dad. He's not following God. So Jacob is kind of like drafting off of people who are following God. But on his own, he doesn't know the man. And that's kind of why he's been a trickster and why he's been doing weird things. And I think many live this way, is Jacob is following people who are following God. He's hoping to personally benefit from proximity to God, but not having a relationship with God himself. And you might say, well, I don't even know if God wants that. And we'll, we'll see that coming up. And Jacob is doing many things in his own power. He's tricking, deceiving others to get what only God can give him. What he's trying to get 
in his own strength is stuff that only God can give him. So what does Esau do in light of all this is happening? Look at verse 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And Esau's looking at his family. Verse seven, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw, this is what Esau's doing, when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael, which is a whole family lineage from Abraham. Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. So centuries after this, from Ishmael's family line will come Islam. So Islam will come kind of from this this long line, and one of the main tenets of Islam is that God is not relational. You are actually thinking way too highly of yourself if you ever think that you could know him. We will do things to try to not get his wrath, and we'll never know for sure if his wrath has been satisfied, but I will never be able to know him. And so Esau... Esau knows he isn't pleased with his, that, his, that Isaac isn't pleased with the Canaanite wives from the Hittite empire. And man, I was just, as I was reading this, I was like, Esau, talk to your dad. You know, it's like he sees this about his dad, and he's like, well, I know what to do. And he goes and marries a, another woman from the Ishmaelites, and is like, this is what I should do. And it's like, could you have a conversation with your dad and be like, dad, what do you think I should do? How about, how about talking to God? Like what if Esau was like, God, I have screwed up. God, I have made a mess of things. And I, I don't know, should I divorce these people? I don't, God, what would you like me to do right now? I mean, that is like, I was like begging Esau, and I know it might sound silly because this has all happened a really long time ago and has been written down for a really long time, but I'm like, come on, man, like, just say, how do I go forward from here, God? I've, I've made a mess of it to here. And what really struck me is that wherever, truly, wherever any of us find ourselves in life, by things people have done to us, things we should have done that didn't do, things we did do, like wherever we find ourselves in life, there is always an on-ramp to walking with God, always. Like there's no place any of us could ever get to where it's not like, oh, here's how I could follow God from right here, right now. We never get to a place where it's like, man, you, you messed up, you went too far down the road in your own judgment, you went too far in sin. Wherever we find ourselves in life, there's always an on-ramp to walking with God. There's always a way to get into God's will. There's a way to get right with him, but Esau doesn't do any of these things. And what his actions show us 
is that he wants his way. And man, I feel like this is so popular in our culture is it's like, well, I thought about it and I think this is how I get right with God. So I'm gonna do this and I'm right with God. And it's like, well, where do you get that from? Well, I got it from my grandfather and he seemed to be a great guy. And it's like, man, uh, nothing against your grandfather, but there isn't a single person, no matter how great of a guy or lady, that has in their resume the ability to say such things. It is God alone who reveals that to us because he loves us and he doesn't want us to have to figure it out on our own and be like, well, I hope I picked the wrong, I hope I picked the right grandparent. I hope I picked the right person to listen to. The right person to listen to is the only one who really knows God's vision of Are we still good? Okay, we're back. So what what happens here is this is revealing that Esau is following his own way, his own vision of right, not God's vision of right. Um, Esau marries a woman from Ishmael's lineage. He's just going deeper. He thinks it's going to please his parents. He's walking out his own vision of right, not actually taking time to learn God's way. And at this point, neither Jacob or Esau are any closer to God. Esau wants his way, not looking to God about his way. But Jacob is at least listening to his dad and his dad's wishes and following what Isaac says. And we go back to Jacob now. Look at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. No Airbnbs here. He, the guy literally takes a rock and is like, you know, he, he'd like a firm pillow. He takes a rock, puts it on the ground, and that's what he lays his head on. Verse 12, and he fell asleep. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. This is a vision he's having. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So he is, the image is he's in heaven. Jacob's able to see this. And the Lord is standing above these mighty, fearsome angels that are moving between earth and heaven. And the Lord is standing up above it. And standing up above it, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the peoples of the earth, all nations of the earth be blessed. Behold, like if all of that wasn't worth taking your breath away, I think verse 15 is actually the next level. Behold, I am with you. 
and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. I love, he's not talking about Abraham. He's only, he only mentions Abraham and Isaac to say, I'm the one that was active in their life and I am moving towards you. And I love that he's not standing next to Jacob. He is standing over heaven and earth as he is moving, breaking into Jacob's life. And, and man, we have two people being baptized after the service. Kayleen and Justin, that God is breaking into their life. He's doing that here. And I love how the Lord meets Jacob after he's left Beersheba. Um, the scene that the Lord is standing over between heaven and earth. And he says, up above, as he is over heaven and earth, he says, I am Yahweh. I'm Yahweh, and we've talked about this already in the book of Genesis, but just the name Yahweh means, like that, that name, like there are Elohim, there are all sorts of names for God that he uses. I mean, just like I have nicknames for my kids that when I'm feeling different things towards them, I use a different nickname uh, when I'm interacting with them. And when God uses the name Yahweh, he's talking about his relationship. Like, he's a relational God. It's a lie from the, from the lineage of Ishmael that God is not relational. It's a lie. He is incredibly relational, and that's how, you know, he's, he, I don't think he's yelling. He's saying, hey, can you hear me down there? But he's, like, so clearly powerful that he's like, I am Yahweh. I'm the, I am the relational God of Abraham. I am the relational God of Isaac, and I am moving towards you. I will give you this land. I'm gonna give it to your offspring. Your people will spread around in every direction. Every family on earth will be blessed. You know, this is a guy who has murder. Like, he, he's, his brother is planning to kill him. And that's why he's sleeping with a head on his rock, on a rock. And then he says, every family on earth will be blessed through Jacob's offspring. Well, so Jacob's son, Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is coming through Judah, who is, who is Yahweh himself, who is going to come in the flesh. Jesus, second person of the Trinity, will be born through the lineage of Judah. So here even... Like, as the Lord is speaking to Jacob, he is talking about his arrival. He's talking about how all people will be blessed and will have the opportunity to be able to follow Yahweh himself, the relational God who's moving towards us. So God promises to be with Jacob wherever he goes. And then... What, what I love, too, is that God doesn't veil himself. Like, he's not like, oh, Jacob, let's have, a, let's have a little conversation here. And you're like, oh, baby Jesus. You know, like, we can so often treat God so small. And a lot of times I think, like, if, if you're unmoved by him, it's because your view of him is, is inaccurately 
small. So it makes you big and him small. And you hear things like this, you're like, well, I'll be the judge of that. Let me think about it a little bit. You know, and you're like unmoved. Um, and what God invites Jacob to is to see his, his awesome might, to see his glory. He invites Jacob into a victorious relationship. He's, he's telling him victory. He's like, we are winning this thing. Follow me. I'm with you, I'm pursuing you. I'm not gonna let you go. I'm not gonna let you down. Jacob's response, this is the con man. <laughs> he loves to move towards broken people. If, if he didn't work with broken people, he would have no one to work with. He moves towards broken people and Jacob's response in verse 16, Jacob, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. He's not, he's not trying to be all smart. He's not trying to sound smart around people. He's like, I had no idea that he was right there. Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. Verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This is the way. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. He took his pillow and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. We, we, we sang some lyrics of it during our confession assurance. We even spoke of, uh, he anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows from Psalm 23. So whenever oil is poured, that's a, that is usually imagery and it's a symbol saying, like, we're even told to, like, anoint someone's head with oil uh, when we pray for healing. It, that is a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And so here even Jacob is, is just realizing, like, God is here. The power of the Holy Spirit is here. And he's pouring oil on top of this pillar Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first, so he renames the place. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So he says, Yahweh, the relational God, will be my God. The Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I love, they said, surely the Lord's in this place, and I did not know this. He uses the name God. Uh, he uses this Yahweh, the name that God uses for himself, the one true God, the God who stands over heaven and earth, is the pursuing God. He's pursuing con men like Jacob, moving towards them, moving towards us inviting each of us into relationship with him. And I love that Jacob says, Yahweh is here. And that's the first time in his life he's ever said that. First time that Jacob, Jacob's been around a lot of things that God has done. He's seen God do a lot of things and it hasn't made him any better off for it, personally. And I love here that he's like, Yahweh is here. I didn't know it, but I know it now. And I love he's afraid. 
you might be like, well, the things of God should never be afraid because of blah, blah, blah. Um, it makes me think of when I'm like teaching my kids to do certain things, like, like we've been in a season of like teaching our, like my kids how to drive, getting their licenses. And there's a part of me that's always like, I hope you have a, like a healthy fear of this very heavy vehicle that you're driving really fast. And so I'm usually the dad that is telling like all the ways you can kill somebody, all of the, you know, a lot of times my kids are like, dad, bring it down. Like, I just, I'm like, I, wa I want you to know all of the thing terrible things that could happen, you know, like they'll mention a motorcycle and I'll tell a story about, well, I heard this guy died this way, so like make sure, you know, they're like, dad, I just pointed out a motorcycle. We don't have to go this long story every time. But what I, like, there are simple things, like a chainsaw. I love using a chainsaw. I, I, the, the bigger, more powerful, I, I, the biggest chainsaw I have, I, I could use it for an hour every day and it would be fun. But, like, even I have to remind myself, this chainsaw, I need to have, I need to be afraid of it. Because if I misuse its power... I hope I survive that. This vehicle, I need to not misuse its power. If I do, bad things could happen. A, a little match. If I misuse its power, I could burn the house down or all of Canada. And just to realize, like, Jacob catches a vision of God and his might that makes all these examples seem so trite because he's like, oh my gosh. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. I am afraid right now of misstepping, of misusing the powerful relationship that, is being, that I am being invited into. And I love how free Jesus tells us we are in him. I love how, how at peace he invites us to be because he's the prince of peace and he rules over our lives. And also, man, I, I want to tremble as I think about God in my life. I, I don't want me to get so big and him to become so small in my thinking that I don't tremble when I think about the powerful one that I am walking with, seeking to walk with, being invited to walk with. And he feels this fear, but he says, how awesome. His fear leads him to awe, to worship. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And he's being invited into this relationship. Uh, a scholar of the book of Genesis, Alan P. Ross, states, before this experience, Jacob was a fugitive from the results of his sin. I love how he writes that. He was a fugitive from the results of his sin. He was a troubled son in search of his place in life. He was a shrewd shepherd setting out to find a wife. After this encounter, however, he was a partner with God as a recipient of his promises and a true worshiper. And man, it's like, where, where do we go from this chapter how does this chapter change us? How does this God transform us? And I, I think a big question is just, have you seen him like this? Ha, ha, have you seen 
this type of God? Have you, had a, have you had a vision? And maybe it wasn't as you were sleeping or maybe it was, but do you have this big God as your God? Have you, have you seen him like this? Would you be open to seeing him like this? Will the Lord be your God? Will your house, would your home be God's house? And I love, immediately Jacob knows this will cost him everything. And I love, like, he stops being a swindler, and what's interesting, for about 14 years, people swindle him, take advantage of him. Like, basically, his life gets a lot worse, but not in here, as the Lord is his God, and he can weather a lot of storms because he's anchored in the one who's not letting him down. It's touching his motives it's touching his worship. Um, it's, it's not a big part of this verse, but it's touching his wallet. Sometimes that's the last thing we hold on to is like, God, I'll give you everything but my money. I work hard for it myself. That's mine. And, and what I love about Jacob is he's like, it's all yours. I, I'm going to get just off the top. I'm going to give you 10% of everything, and I am, I'm going in with you. It's touching his whole life. And no matter what has happened, no matter what is happening, no matter what will happen with your life, um, man, would the Lord be our God? Would the Lord be our God? And that's why we exist as a church. Like that's four years, and would God give us 40 more years of us saying Yahweh is our God? He is big, he is powerful, and man, as he gets bigger, we don't just like shrink into nothing. As he gets bigger, we're actually able to be appropriately followers of him. And we're able to follow him as he leads us in the way we're designed to live. His life becoming our life. And, and maybe you've been like Esau. And what I love about Jesus is he's like, all the Esau's, all the Jacob's, I died for that anyone who calls on my name would be saved. That's, that's the one prayer in the Bible that he says every time it's prayed, it's a yes. The yes is on the table. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anybody who says, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You paid the price for my sin. You came, Yahweh in the flesh, dwelt among us. You are the one that all nations will be blessed through. And me giving my life to you frees me, sets me free. I no, I, I no longer, yeah, brother, you've experienced that. And man, Lord, would all of us experience that in this room this morning? Um, if what has, maybe God, maybe we have seen you that way and we have given our life to you and in our humanity, um, We've even, that vision of you feels like it's fading and it's not as vibrant as it used to be. And God, I pray, would you even give us a fresh vision of who you are? We invite you to light up our world. We invite you to transform us, change us. Uh, for some, it might be like Jacob coming to you for the first time and saying, the Lord is my God. And maybe for the 5,000th time in a fresh 
passionate with our whole heart, all of our passions to say, the Lord is my God. Lord, we, we look to you to change us. I can't manufacture any of this. I don't wanna try, it wouldn't be real. But Lord, you can touch any of us. You know our story. You know everything about us, just like you knew everything about Jacob and you move towards him and you're moving towards us. It's not an accident. We're in this room right now. Would you turn this into a sanctuary of your presence? Change us all for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things that Jesus does is he invites us to his table. And that might feel kind of old-fashioned, but man, it happens here in Iowa too. If like, you know, you, you are cold calling somebody like a sales call and they're like, hey, come in, we're having dinner. Come to my table, sit down. You would be like, wow, I really am welcomed here. And this is Jesus's idea, communion. He's welcoming us to his table. Just as you would walk into someone's family, walk in the Gerards for communion group and sit around their table as they're welcoming you in. This is like, Jesus's idea of a relationship with him. We, we, we have relationship with him in many ways, and this is one of them. Um, Tanner's parents are here from out of town, are gonna serve us communion today, which is really special. Um, and the way we do it here is we'll spend a few, few moments just in prayer. Anything that Jesus wants to do in our lives, just open up to him. If you have not given your life to Jesus, this table isn't gonna mean a lot to you. Know that he is inviting you to himself. And so what I would encourage you if you have not given your life to Jesus is to, to maybe ask him if he's real, ask him if he's inviting you to give your life to him. And if he is, I would encourage you to do that. In your own words, in your own a way I'd be, I'll be standing over here. I'd love to, to help you and serve you in that way. Um, you'll never regret it. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, uh, if you grew up Lutheran, wh whatever, if, you're, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're welcome to his table. And so we'll take a few moments. We'll come down the center. Um, the balls will give you uh, bread represented by, just hold your hand out. They'll place it in your hand. Take wine or juice, obey your conscience, go back to our seats, and then I'll lead us through taking it together as family. Let's come to him.